This program is presented by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Hello, I'm Sarah Gregory, and today I'm talking with Dr. Sophie Julian, a pediatrician at the Barcelona Institute for Global Health in Barcelona. We'll be discussing the potential for plague transmission from corpses. Welcome, Dr. Julian. Hi. Hi, Sarah. Thank you. So give us a brief history of plague around the world. Yeah, sure. When I started working on plague and I was saying that to people, the disease actually sounded familiar to most of them either because they read the book from Albert Camus because they know about the plague pandemics that occur in the past. And usually they, they were about to ask me, like, so plague still exists? And the answer is yes. Indeed, plague has caused like three major historic pandemics. So the best known is the Black Death pandemic that occurred in the 14th century. And this pandemic has killed like over 50 million deaths, which was like about one third of the population of Europe. And then another pandemic occurred in the 19th century, uh, which started in China, went to Asia, and it actually was still considered active until the late uh, 1960s. So although, yes, this is brief history of the plague around the world, and it is still considered this of the past. Yes, it remains a country in many parts of the world. Um, and in the last maybe two decades, most of the cases are now concentrated only in a few countries, mainly in Africa, so mainly it would be Madagascar and DRC, the Democratic Republic of Congo, but also Uganda, Tanzania, but not only Africa, but also uh, the US, Peru, and some other countries in, in Asia. So WHO is listed as an emerging disease, and that's frankly pretty scary. Do we know why it's increasing globally? Maybe just let me say that so emerging infectious disease is a disease that once was a major health problem. So we just mentioned that this was definitely the case for plague, and then it declined dramatically. So for example, for plague, we had like antibiotics and protective measures, but then it's again becoming a health problem. Um, so why? For some diseases, we may know it. So for mal malaria and tuberculosis, for example, we know that there is some antibiotic, there is some drug resistance. For plague, definitely it's also the case. And as you say, it is scary. It's probably because of environmental factors. So for example, there was a major plague outbreak in Madagascar in 2017. And the plague outbreak hit the capital. So the capital where more than one million people live. So if you have an infectious disease there with all the movement going on, you can imagine how fast it goes. Are there different types of plague syndromes? And if so, are there different symptoms for each of them? Yeah, sure. So there are three main forms of plague, and they are defined depending on where the infection is. So we have the bubonic plague, which is the infection of lymph nodes. Then we have the pneumonic plague, which is the infection in the lungs. And then we have the septicemic plague, when the infection is in, in the blood. And about so the different symptoms. So yes, so generally, so all of them would cause you like severe symptoms. So they would cause like fever, weakness, headache, body pain. And then depending on the forms, so the bubonic plague will cause like a swelling and painful lymph nodes, and they are called bubos. Then you have the pneumonic plague, which is actually like a very severe pneumonia. So they would present with cough, with sharpness of breath, with chest pain, blood in the sputum sometimes, and the evolution will be very fast. And then the third form is the septicemic plague, and you have like very sick people, and the disease would call like dysfunction of organs, the tissues may turn black, and yeah, that would be the different symptoms of these three forms. And is one more contagious than the others? So is the ability of the disease to pass from one to another? So maybe I just need to say first that bubonic and septicemic plague, they are spread by flea bites or handling like infected animals, so they are not really transmitted from human to human. 
while the pneumonic form of plague is transmitted by the inhalation of infected droplets, so through air, so usually yes, it's from human to human. So this would be definitely the more contagious form for humans. I see. So what kind is most common and does it vary geographically? So bubonic plague is the most common form of plague. The pneumonic would spread the least, but it's the most severe form of plague. And I think what varies geographically is probably like not the disease itself, but like the health system and the condition where the disease can be recognized and treated. So for example, in areas, so the first case of plague would usually start with like a flea bite or contact with the animal, so you will end up with a bubonic plague, right? So this is well recognized and treated early. It, the, the story will stop here. So you won't have many cases. We'll have just a few cases of, of bubonic plague. But in some, so that would be, for example, the case in the US, right? When you have like cases every year. But then in, in another scenario, when you have like cases started, even if it's a bubonic plague that started, let's say, in rural areas, uh, in some countries in Africa, for example, in Madagascar, if the disease uh, is not recognized early enough and it develops to a pneumonic plague, and then you have transmission from human to human, then you'll have an increased number of pneumonic plague if the parental measures are not implemented early enough. So I think this, this is what actually varies geographically, if this makes sense. Are the different types all treatable? And if so, what is the treatment? So yes, yeah, so plague is caused by a, a bacterium, which is called Yersinia pestis. And fortunately now we, we do have treatment for the disease. So it's this antibiotics. So we have different types of antibiotics and the different like number of lengths of treatment for the different forms of plague. What should clinicians be on the lookout for? All right, so this is an important question because actually an outbreak is usually first detected by clinicians, right? I guess it depends where you are. If you are in Spain, I mean, you should not be much worried about it, but definitely when you live in an endemic area, you should be aware of it. So I think raising awareness is probably the most important thing. And what they should look for is like the, the symptoms I described. So whether you have like a very severe pneumonia in your endemic area, you need to think about it. Or if you have like these bubbles, which are these uh, painful and swollen lymph nodes, then this is definitely something that clinicians should be aware of. So your study looked into whether corpses or carcasses of animals could transmit plague. Why did you want to find this out? <laughs> yeah, so plague is a severe infectious disease with a high fatality rate. It's contagious, right, from human to human. So the, I would say that the Ebola outbreak in West Africa in 2014 made people aware of how important safe burial is to prevent transmission from corpses. And this was not always well understood. So when WHO, uh, the World Health Organization, and uh, national governments turned to a sheer readiness for other outbreaks of dangerous infectious diseases, such as plague, there was a concern about whether people that died of plague in this case were infectious. And so what the right recommendation should be for handling corpses of people who had died of plague in this case? So a couple of years ago, WHO released their guidelines for the management of plague, which actually were recently published, and the concern of safe burial practices was identified as a priority to address. So this systematic review uh, was commissioned to assess the evidence around the infection rate of corpses to inform recommendations, so to inform evidence-based recommendations on the need of protective measures, so many personal protective equipment for health workers or for whoever needs to deal with corpses of people who die from plague. Are there more bacterial loads in corpses or carcasses? So we know that bacterial loads are higher at the final stage of the disease. 
So when you get infected, you have uh, low bacterial loads and then it gets higher as the disease evolves. So I would say yes, that at the time of death, there's probably, I mean, there is high bacterial loads at that time, yes. About 35 hours seems to be the longest the pathogens have ever been seen to be viable. So if someone was digging around in a plague pit from the 1600s, then it's unlikely they could catch plague? So 35 hours seems to be the longest that plague was transmitted from a human or an animal cadaver, actually in, in that case, a carcass, to a human. And then another point is that actually the plague bacteria, so Yersinia pestis, can survive in the environment, um, like in the ground around the, the corpse. And another point is that if we detect the bacteria in the ground or in these corpses, we also need to know whether these bacteria have the capacity to be infectious and to cause the disease. So yes, yeah, 35 hours is definitely the longest that we've seen that it's caused the disease. But I would say that, yes, it's very likely that you would catch plague by digging a plague pit from the 1600. But we don't know for how long. So even, sorry if I'm not here, but we don't, even if the bacteria live long enough in the ground, we don't know if then it has the capacity to be infection and to cause the disease. How did you conduct your study? All right, so did a systematic review. Just to be clear, so I did not conduct a study in the field myself. Uh, but I did uh, gather all the literature, so all the studies, all the reports, all the descriptions that reply to the particular question that we are asking. And we do that in a very like organized and transparent way. So how did I do that? So the question actually is simple in the sense that we wanted to know whether human corpse can transmit the disease. And if so, for how long a human corpse can transmit the disease. Even if it's, so it's found an easy question, but it's actually not easy and straightforward to find a reply because there is very little information that goes straight to reply this question. Probably first because you won't start doing an experiment to have like people in contact with corpses or carcasses to see if they get infected. You won't do that for obvious reasons. And also because when you have an exposition to a cadaver or to a corpse, sometimes it's difficult to know if it was the only exposition. For example, if, it, if it's a family member, this person may have been also exposed to the same person when he was alive. So this is why this simple question is actually not easy to reply. So on a methodological point of view, the way we conducted the study is that we divided this simple question into three categories, so three key questions. So we want to, we first try to look at the transmission from living persons with plague to know like which body fluids can transmit the disease. And then we looked at data on transmission from corpses and we included carcasses because we anticipated that corpses, that would have very limited data on corpses. And then finally, like the third question is that we looked at the duration of infectiousness of the body fluids of the corpses and the carcasses. So what did you find from looking at all of that? So the key finding, to summarize the key finding, so we find that actually the intense manipulation of infected corpses can lead to pneumonic plague, so the inhalation of droplets. So we have studies that, that are well documented and describe that. We also found that handling infected corpses can lead to bubonic plague by contact of body fluids, so mainly blood. We did not find anything on other body fluids like urine or, or sweating or other body fluids. But this probably requires skin cuts or abrasions, like small lesions on the hands so that the person gets infected. And the third point is that we actually don't know. So there's, I mean, the, the length of time that the bacteria survive in body fluids or that the corpse is contagious is actually unknown. So we have these 35 hours that we mentioned above that we have from one study, which is very well documented, but there's nothing else on that. So we don't know. We, we don't have a clear answer to this question. What are the most important aspects of your findings? 
at the end, this systematic review gathers all the information that's available on this topic, right? Instead of uh, having bits and pieces in different articles. So it shows that plague is transmissible from cadavers, from corpses, although this seems to require close and prolonged contact. So, for example, there were some cases in which they were describing people that were in contact with the same case of plague, but some would get infected and some others would not get infected, even if they got like a very direct contact with the sick person. And finally, this, I think an important aspect of the finding is that it also highlights what we don't know. So we don't know for how long a human corpse can transmit disease after the time of death. And it's also important to know what we don't know. Was there anything that surprised you? I think I started mentioning that just in the above question, but before starting to work on this review, I actually thought that plague was very contagious, or at least, I mean, pneumonic plague was very contagious. For me, it was a learning experience to, to read and to explore studies showing that actually some people are exposed, like very well exposed, like, for example, to sleep on the same bed as the person with pneumonic plague even the day before the death. And they did not end with the disease. So that was surprising to me. And then reflecting on the topic, maybe on a slightly different point of view, what surprised me is actually the lack of clear information on this topic. Nowadays, we have like plenty of studies looking at so many different things in, in health and medicines. But this, to me, is a very important and relevant question. And it was kind of still underreported. Whereas, like, knowing, I mean, it's, it's an important question, as I said, in the sense that it, depending on what we found, it will lead to certain recommendations. And that will affect lives of people. So it will affect whether, they, depending on which kind of protective measures you will apply, it will affect the life of the people, but also the way the health system have to conduct and with economical repercussions. What was the most challenging part of doing this study then? To me, the most challenging, I think, is that our review question did not have a straight reply. And so from a methodological point of view, we had to adapt the way of conducting the systematic review. And it included like very old, I mean, some studies were very old studies. So some of them were very long, which does not mean that they had lots of information and that they had the information that actually were very relevant to the questions. But so getting the details that we needed was not easy and actually very time consuming. And what do you consider the most important public health aspects of this review? And how will it inform public health? Uh-huh. So guidance on safe burial is actually it's, uh, definitely needed in areas with, with plague outbreak, same as for like Ebola, and for all corpses of people who died from plague infection. So knowing infections of corpses will tell us whether we need or not, for example, preventive measures. And because, as I said earlier, recommendation on either way will have repercussions, we do need to have a rationale behind it. We need to base the recommendations on evidence. And the question here is relevant because in some countries, the funeral rituals are very important to people and they actually involve the handing of the corpses. So an example is Madagascar. And during these funeral ceremonies, people in this country, they bring the corpses out of the tomb and they rewrap the corpses in other fresh new clothes. And then they dance with the corpses and they carry over the the corpse over the head by dancing. So this, as you would imagine, leads a very clear and long exposure to the corpses of people who may have died from plague to the population. So because of, of plague, these practices have been forbidden for these individuals who died, who died of plague. It's a cultural problem, right? I mean, it's important that safe approaches are embedded in this territorial approach and we can ensure safe and, and dignified burial. So for doing that, we need to be sure we need to have evidence for making this recommendation. I see. Yes, that's an important consideration. Since the advent of um, COVID 
people have heard a lot about PPEs, personal protective equipment. How should they be employed by people handling corpses and carcasses of plague victims? Yeah, I remember, I think two or three years ago when I started, I first read PPE. I had to look what it means, and now everyone knows what PPE is. <laughs> so there are different levels of PPE. Gloves, for example, they are an element of PPE. So here we wanted to assess the conditions of corpses from people who died of plague to understand what level of PPE is required. And by looking at the findings, that's definitely plague can be transmitted by helicopters uh, of plague. So during the meeting of plague experts that we had and looking at all the, assessing other aspects, it was judged that, yes, definitely people that have to handle these corpses need to wear full PPE. And that includes gloves, a gun, goggles, and an adequate mask. So Dr. Julian, tell us about your job. You're a pediatrician. So how did you get from being a pediatrician to doing a review study of plagues and corpses? I've always been interested in tropical medicine. So I went to the Liverpool School of Tropical Medicine in Liverpool to complete a master in tropical pediatrics. And there I had a chance to work with Cochrane Infectious Disease Group. And this group is a reference for like evidence synthesis and systematic reviews in the field of infectious disease, obviously. And there I learned to conduct uh, systematic reviews. I got introduced to all these evidence-based practices. And I got involved in a nice project where using the findings of the systematic review I was conducting that time was used to develop evidence-based recommendations for a guideline for India on um, extrapulmonary tuberculosis. That was like kind of a starting point. And then a few years later, the opportunity came to get involved in this other very interesting project on plague. So WHO decided to, visit, to revisit their guidelines on the management of this disease, and they identified three key areas. And the topic we are talking about was one of the three. So here we go. <laughs> but it is a fascinating disease. I got the chance to learn a lot about plague. And yeah, this is definitely a topic I never thought I would look at. <laughs> So has the pandemic required you to do your work differently? And if so, how so? Not really, to be honest, in the sense that for this particular work, it's desk work. So working from home or working from an office did not make much difference. At the time that the pandemic started, I was finishing my PhD. And so I could also do it from home. It got some delays. But yeah, I mean, nothing special that is worth to be mentioned. <laughs> so are you still a practicing pediatrician? So I've been working at the hospital in the last one year, but not in the last few months because time restrictions, I could not do everything. So I've been working at the hospital, but after the big peak. I've been working at the hospital, not as a pediatrician, but involved in the clinical trial, just when the pandemic started to look at the efficacy of hydroxychloroquine to protect health workers. So yeah. <laughs> well, that was a pretty interesting outcome, huh? <laughs> well, thank you for taking the time to talk with me today, Dr. Julian. Thank you very much for your question, Sarah. A pleasure. And thanks for joining me out there. You can read the August 2021 article, Plague Transmission from Corpses and Carcasses, online at cdc.gov eid. I'm Sarah Gregory for Emerging Infectious Diseases. For the most accurate health information, visit cdc.gov or call 1-800-CDC-INFO.